Time for the Wheel Nerds. Uh, wait. Hold on. Uh, son of a bitch. Come on, you... Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 84. I'm Chuck. And I'm Todd. We're going to be talking about motorcycles. And I, I, I will always love you. <coughs> Ow. <coughs> oh, my voice pack wasn't made to do that. I need an adult. Okay, so if you're listening to this, it may be the month of June. Or not. Or not. I'm really bad at doing these. <laughs> what You think you spent the weekend getting wasted in the nights and hanging out with your daughter in the bed. Jeez. Yeah. Stop enjoying your holiday weekend, dick. <laughs> Jerk. I'm, I'm bad at that. We we're getting all kinds of mails. and mm. Someone posted today that they were unsubscribing from us mm-hmm. because we're the laziest mm-hmm. podcast ever. Mm-hmm. We've we refunded all of the money they spent. Uh, yeah. Did, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope he didn't buy anything. Uh, all nothing. You sound a little bitter about that. <sighs> Are you out of tacos? Is that what you're trying to tell the people? Yes. I really <laughs> want a taco in the worst kind of way. <laughs> maybe maybe even one with cheese. American cheese? No. <laughs> That's all we can afford. Okay, Zach says he's he's dying to hear us talk about cra- Craigslist ads, so let's, let's just jump straight into classifieds. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Dun, 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 dun. From Seattle, you can rent a bike. 250 street bike for rent on Federal Way. I received my endorsement just to tell you I got a perfect score on my riding part. What I am looking for is a Ninja 250 or Honda CBR 250 street bike any year to rent for two weeks. <laughs> That's oddly specific. At the moment, I do not have money to buy a bike up front, but want to begin to practice on the streets. I have been riding dirt bikes ever since sixth grade. He binned it all right. Oh yeah, I have had my license for two point five years, and very I've had my license for two point five years, and as a responsible driver, have received no tickets. All I want to do is rent a bike so once per week I can drop off my car, pick up the bike, and ride for an hour. I just want to get practice. I hope someone can understand me and give me a chance. Wow. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. If he's going to have money in two weeks, why not just save your money, dude? <laughs> I, why did he put all the keywords for 600, 750? Ninja Street Bike Motorcycle CBR 600, 750 Honda Kawasaki Yamaha BMW. <laughs> Is he just trying to reach every motorcyclist out there? <laughs> Please let me ride your beginner bike. You guys! Your beginner bike. You guys! Hey! Hey! I need a ride. Guys! I got you some money. Incidentally, we should tell our listeners we'll be publishing the Wheel Nerds Hey You Guys ringtone website. <laughs> hey! You guys! We got a call! Guys! Someone wants to talk to you! That's the phone, guys! Hey! Hey! Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, I have another thought about this one, actually. Yeah? This could be a trap. <laughs> no, no, think about this. Okay. Hey, you guys, I'm gonna, I just want to borrow your bike. I'm just going to take it for a ride. I'm going to leave my car here. Now, if somebody does that, I'm tempted to say, check and make sure the car is really his. Why would you do that for a 250, though? Maybe he's hoping someone with a Ninja Street Bike Motorcycle CBR 600 750 <laughs> on a Kawasaki Yamaha BMW will loan him a bike. Would you ever rent something no. fresh off the course? No. 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 How about that scooter? No. Maybe. <laughs> I could make back the scooter's cost I in just, a day. I just can't see 
anyone going for this. I mean, if it's a trap, it's a reverse trap. Because whoever calls him up and invites him over is going to kill him and rob him and rape him. You know, that's a good point. Maybe not in that order. Possibly eat him. Possibly eat him. We Mm -hmm. we should reply and just tell him not to. Don't do it! (laughs) If somebody invites you over, don't go. You know what? We should call him up and just be like, Hey! Hey! You're looking for a bike? Hey! I got got one! You can come ride it! Yeah! Don't tell anyone you're here! I don't have any pants! (laughs) <laughs> Sadly, he didn't leave a phone <laughs> No. Okay, our next one is a 2004 Yamaha R6, 500 miles, $3,500. Yeah, yeah. It's a, There's it's, a kid. I don't think he's for sale. No, let's see. We, we, the bike has the 550 original miles, has the following. Custom paint with airbrushing. Okay, neat. Chrome frame. Okay. Chrome wheels. Sure. Yeah. Two sets PF fog lights. Mm-hmm. D&D exhaust. Yep. Deep cycle battery with extended tray. Those are nice. 12 LCD monitors. Wait, what? Two rear view cameras. Oh, wait. One Eclipse DVD player. F- fuck. Two sets Alpine speakers. Two sets? And most notably, no title. What? Wait, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, 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 back up, back up. And again. 12 LCD monitors? 12 LCD monitors. And there's boobies on the tail piece. The airbrushing is apparently of naked women. Yes. No. With a TV in her boobies. A TV in her. Now, I, look at it. Where he has rear view mirrors, there, there are, are TVs. <laughs> which I guess are linked to the two rear view cameras. One would hope that as opposed to the DVD player. Maybe the ones on the side are linked to the, what if you got it wrong? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you look in your rear view and you just see the world passing by. No, no. What about this? You look in your rear view. Yeah. You see boobies. And Jurassic Park is playing on the DVD player. <laughs> the dinosaur. The dinosaur. <laughs> Great to do to somebody as a joke. Every time I look in your rear mirror, there's a Tyrannosaurus. That's, that's why he's selling it. <laughs> he can't. Yeah, he's, just, he's running out of pants. That's why he has no title. <laughs> Twelve LCD. Mo- okay, there's two on the mirrors. Yeah, and like, let's go with one on the tail in the boobies. Uh, where are the other? There, there's nine. There, there looks like there's at least one on each fairing. On each I, fairing I'm, for why? I don't know. On, on the sides in the front, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Where would you put? Tw- maybe there's like, I, I don't know where you would. Put I them. have no. Maybe that's idea. not actually a kid next to the bike. Maybe that's a projection. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. Actually, that's pretty cool. Um, and there's a lot of naked girls on this bike. I don't know if I'd let my kid hang out around a naked girl bike. Oh. Um, but, you know, that's that's to each his own, I suppose. I let, must pick up bike by Thursday. I don't know. I'm sure that's not a... <laughs> the owner will be the back. The owner will be back. <laughs> He'll know that I broke into his garage. Not stolen. <laughs> Twelve LCD monitors. I, I, I got to admit, I do, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm digging the idea of... Rear view monitors and place of mirrors. Why? It just seems kind of nerdy and geeky in mm-hmm. a weird way. I think I'd rather have the ones on the side actually showing whatever I wanted. Think of the cool things you could do with that. Boobies? And the booby monitor. I mean, let's be honest. If I'm watching movies, I mean, you're a bachelor now. You're a bachelor pad. Let's be honest. If your TV was actually a TV in boobies on the back of a motorcycle, would you enjoy it more? Oh, yeah. See? There Amazing. you go. I rest my case. I, uh, I I like the idea of, of just 
Booby TV motorcycles. Well, Booby TV I, motorcycles. I want the rear view Available cameras. now, Booby TV motorcycles. And I really like how it gives the, the that whole setup to get those monitors in place of the mirrors. Mm-hmm. Yep. He has to do this sort of horned fairing for mm-hmm. the bike. Yes, yes. It's uh, it's monstrous. <laughs> <laughs> but I need... for $3,500, this bike is so stolen. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is, this is either not really in existence or he's broken into someone's garage. <laughs> this is such a stolen bike. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. What's next? Oh, next one, we've got one from Orlando. Okay. So this is a CBR600 F2 slash F3 parts, $100. Frame has good title. Motor, good plastics. Moo with what parts you need. A moo? A moo. Hum? H M U Moo. What the hell's Moo? It's dude. It's the way. Yeah, the cool kid. Obviously, you're not down to what the cool kids are doing these days to communicate, Chuck. Right. You are old and out of touch. The cool kids now are mooing yeah. in order to get to the. Yeah. I was just mooing one of my friends the other day. You have no idea what that means. None whatsoever. <laughs> Frame has good title. Sometimes I can moo twice in a night. <laughs> well, the frame has good title. The rest of the bike. Not so much. <laughs> Rested bike is down that frame. Not a trap. Not a trap. I note, by the way, also that the, uh, the CBR 600 F2 F3 parts, I note also that it says Kawasaki on the tank. Uh, is it the bike in front or the bike in back that's for sale? You know, it's difficult to say, really. Because, I mean, that's a Kawasaki, so that that can't be a CBR. We could always moon. Good plastics. I mean, and it's an American flag paint job, which looks like it's mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, that looks more interesting than this, the CBR's paint job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, the Kawasaki's paint job. Yes. Yeah. So, but I mean, it looks like it's missing its front fang. Yeah, it's missing a variety of things. But it's good plastics. Mm-hmm. And, and motor. I'm tempted to move the guy. Motor. I gotta be honest. Motor. 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 It didn't say what motor. Motor. <laughs> it definitely doesn't say what motor. Motor. <laughs> But then he says, text only this number. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to move him? <laughs> what is a movie? <sighs> Our last ad, already taken down, but we, we got the, the text of it. I have... Hey, woman, motorcycle helmet! Oh, look, human box! Make offer! Or I will consider trading for... Cars, jewelry, gold, 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 Rolex, Rolex! Open to suggestion! If trade value must be $200... Thanks for looking! This is news fam! We have report! I have $200 worth of hugs. Mmm. Mm. You know, I think we need to get this woman in touch with Jay. <laughs> we should call her up and we'll be like, Hello? And she'll be like, Hello? And I'll be like, You should uh, call Jay! <laughs> Match made in heaven. I lied about it being the last dad. Mm-hmm. We've got this one. They couldn't possibly, gee. Custom Rat Chopper 2005 Kawasaki Vulcan 800 for $8,500. Built with the intent of looking like hell. It lived. It worked. <laughs> this started life as a stock Vulcan and was chopped and stretched. Uh, probably written about, let's see, 20,000 miles. No issues. Other than it exists. Uh, frame was welded by a professional welder. Then why does it look like it's sagging in the middle? <laughs> so this is a, this looks like it was welded by a professional welder using pieces of whatever was lying around. No switches on the bar. System has two tanks. The top one being a one gallon reserve. No switch wire to brakes. Ford hubcat air cleaner. 
Bike is a hardtail, but the metal tractor seat is mounted to a, a spring of some kind. Wow. This is truly an awful bike. This is a... Uh, this is somebody who's like saw a rat bike and they're like, that would be cool. I'm going to spend a lot of money getting that look. Oh my God. The floorboards are skateboards. E- oh my God. They're, they're, they're skateboard, skateboard decks. Yes, they are. <laughs> this is truly, truly awful. <laughs> this bike is awful. <laughs> We need we need to move on. I need something to restore my faith in biking humanity, Chuck. I can't look away. Chuck. <laughs> Chuck. It's talking to me. Chuck. Yes. Stop looking at it. Okay. Yeah, I need I need my faith in humanity restored. Uh we can watch people ride scooters. Okay, this is fun. This is one that's been sent to us by several people. Uh apparently it's a scooter rider in China. Uh and here we go. We'll do the live comment. Everyone hit play now. All right, let's. See. Oh, and he hit a van with his scooter and fell over. Okay, I'll just I'll just get my scooter up here and uh, just uh, yep, can go and he hit Looks this like truck. He's here his ribs. Uh-huh. Yep, and he uh, now now someone's helping him get it unstuck from the truck. I think he's uh, he's okay. He's ready and to he's, go. He's making a getaway. Oh, he's getting away. He's in a giant hole. <laughs> Impressive. This is Sparta. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of what that looked like, isn't it? <laughs> he fell into a pit of death. He fell into a giant hole. That, that's that's I that that movie needs video game sound effects. Hopefully, he has a shotgun and a chainsaw hand because mm-hmm. obviously there's zombies waiting for him at the bottom mm-hmm. of that hole. Yep. Wow, that's horrible. Folks also sent us a video of an extreme lane splitter. Yes. This one has been making the rounds. Uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's uh, you'll. I could not ride like this anywhere. I, 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 I feel a little clenchy just watching. Yeah. Um, and this guy is saying this is his job. This is, this is how he makes money. He makes, he's money. a messenger, or yeah, messenger. Oh, okay. So, so his, he, he rides like a maniac through the city. Cause the faster you go, the more jobs you get done. Uh huh. And the more you get paid. That's really something. At least he's, he's using his turn signal. That's what I said. That's good. Yes. Yes. There's turn signal use and everything. And, you know, he's doing his proper head checks <laughs> as he weaves wildly in and out of traffic. I could not... Oh, I don't even... Look at the... I, I feel vaguely nauseous. Wow. Yep. I mean... Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay. So thanks for sending that. That's, uh, that's We'll have uh, those links up with the, the show notes, assuming this show comes out sometime in September. <laughs> uh, next up... Uh, was at the Overland Expo, mm-hmm. and I was, uh, maybe you know, I was talking to a lot of my close personal friends. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Who'd you talk to this time? Austin Vince. Oh, Austin again. Awesome. I got to talk to Austin after we watched the premiere of his uh, movie, Mondo Sahara. Oh, cool. And he sat down with me, you know, being close personal friends. Yeah. We uh, we sat down and we chatted. Okay, so I'm I'm back sitting with Austin. It's been about a year since I've talked to you. Talk could come out to the Overland Expo. And last night you got to show everyone the new Mondo Sahara film. Yes, well, it was a huge trip, treat. Um, a bit naughty, curating a film festival and curating my own film into, <laughs> into, into it. But there's going to be some perks in it. Um, it was a, a terrific privilege to show the film here at the Overland Expo because uh, the team was an Anglo-American team. Yeah, three Americans. And, and, by, and absolutely designed by me to be an Anglo-American project. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It was a great thrill to watch it with an American audience, mm-hmm. uh, which I 
presume I probably will never do ever again. So that was a bit of a, a, a milestone for me. And if you're a young, if you're an independent, small-time <laughs> filmmaker like me, you don't, you, you by definition don't sit watch your film in a room with 300 people in it. It that was, doesn't happen very often at all. <laughs> standing room only. It was packed. I think uh, it was one of the highlights of the show. Great. So that's um, Chuck there saying that it was one of the highlights of the uh, weekend. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Thank and you very much. Here's, me, here's $10. Take, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> let me just take a moment to assure you that as an American, I am not currently armed. <laughs> as far as you know. <laughs> but you have the right, and that's what's important. Right. Yes, I have the right. Uh, one of the interesting things I really... St- thought last night from uh, your talk before the, the film, you were showing um, another short film about those guys that rode across the Atlantic, and you were really touching about you know how we use the word adventure in everything. Um, on our podcast, we make a joke about, you know, we have adventure soda, adventure shoes, adventure whatever. You know, this whole industry, I mean, this whole Overland Expo is kind of catering to the idea that we're adventure. Well, you hit the nail on the head there when you said you made a joke about it. Mm-hmm. It's it, it, so it's very quickly the word adventure is essentially worthless. Right. I think in the last, let's say, it's taken five years for that to happen. So um, I don't know what will happen. I'm, I'm personally, I'm trying to reclaim the word, or more accurately, I'm personally trying to be very careful about how I use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly am very wary of anybody who calls themselves an adventurer. I hate it when uh, when that is applied to me because I'm a maths teacher and that's what I do. And um, I also I have a problem with the f- when people say, "Oh well, an adventure is anything you want it to be," mm-hmm. and it's not your right to tell me that what I just did is not an adventure. Uh, but I think that although we do have free speech, we also have have a responsibility to use that speech carefully. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm afraid taking a subway train across Manhattan Island will never be an adventure. <laughs> unless, unless of course, unless of course you're dressed as Hitler or something right, like that, yeah. and and you know, then then you could turn it into something that would be an adventure. So I think we've just got to, we've got to cherish the word adventure. And anybody who who hears this, I ask and urge you to, to use the word carefully. And also, it uh, um, we've got to be careful in the adventure motorcycle community that, uh, more accurately, in the motorcycling community, I think we've got to be much, much more precious about the use of the word adventure. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's, when it when it is misused and devalued, it makes us look stupid. And right. I don't like that, because I think riding a motorcycle is cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the other two points I took away last night was, one, you wanted to take Americans to these countries that, you know, we watch on the news all the night. Just, there's wars, there's guns. Americans are maybe seen from their point of view as typically just being a sort of an invading force or we're, you know, we're going to be Americans with guns. We just made that joke. And you wanted Mondo Sahara to show not just the three Americans you took with you, but everyone who's watching the movie that, you know, you can go to these places and you can be an ambassador. You've talked before about being a, an ambassador to the world and showing that, you know, hey, we're just people too. Yes, it's, it's crucial. It's a, and it's a, it's a message which I've only really, uh, or an ethos which I've only really formulated properly in about the last five years, even though I've sort of been doing long distance motorcycling for about 20 years. Right. Um, when I was 20 years ago, uh, when I was in my, in my late 20s, early 30s, to me, long distance or adventure motorcycling was just trying to enjoy myself and then more or less right. and, you know, meet girls. 
<laughs> or, or go to nightclubs, or, you know, but right. do some motorcycle, do some motorcycling in a different town every night, you know. It was right, just, right. just road trip. It was just classic old school road trip, road trip fun across many countries. But now, as I'm older and maybe more serious, um, I see, I think, I see adventure motorcycle. I want to promote, this is it. Here's my, here's my soundbite. Okay. I want to promote adventure motorcycling as a political act. Okay, yeah. As, and that means by definition, you can't be, in, by my definition, you can't be doing it in Western Europe, America, or anywhere in the developed world. That's not adventure motorcycling. That's camping or dual sporting or dirt biking. Mm-hmm. There's names for all that stuff already. Just tripping already. Yeah. yeah but uh, this, uh, this, in the last 10 years, let's say since 9-11, America and Britain have managed to send men with guns, and lots of them, to a lot of other countries in the world, and your, your listeners can ring in or whatever, but I'm not sure how, if they've achieved very much good in, in that way. So, uh, I can't affect foreign office and state department, uh, policy. I could with my little measly vote and maybe, you know, but what I can do is I can go to those countries myself mm-hmm. and smile and be nice and, and try and, and try and give, um, the Moroccans and the Western Saharians and the Mauritanians and wherever the next trip is, give them an impression of an Englishman and an American that's a hundred percent positive, not where they're being stopped at a checkpoint, not where there's an American, you know, abusing their holy, their holy book or whatever. Yeah. I'm not a holy person. I'm, I you know, I'm a, I'm a proper card carrying atheist. But when I'm surrounded by people who believe a certain thing, then I, then I'm, I'm going to go along with it. Maybe I'm gonna not, maybe I'm not gonna immigrate there, but I've gotta, I've gotta play the, you know, play the, you're, the, you're the game gonna, to their rules. You're not gonna be outspoken about like, hey, that book, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. It's all made up. There is no God, you know. I want bacon. <laughs> exactly. It's just, you just, um, it's, I think it might be something to, one of the, one of the problems we inherit in the developed world is that we cannot bear the idea that other people actively choose to live our lives, live their lives differently from, from ours. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that with, you know, where do you get the most confrontational TV show? A show about your neighbours. Right. The yeah. person who lives eight foot away from you, you can hate their guts because they barbecue differently from you. Right. Because they listen to music at different levels from you. I mean, this is the most, such a fundamentally simple human weakness that we cannot bear it. This, uh, the fact that they're not, why, why don't they dress their women like ours? You know, or why, why, do, why do they not eat that thing that we love eating? What's wrong with them? Right, because there's only one right. There way. is only, it's only our way. Yeah. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Our way, and you know, and, uh, and that's, I know it's an old traveling cliche that you, that you go around the world and you come back a richer person and you see all these other cultures and you learn the good from it and maybe you don't or the bits you don't like you try to to be conscious of that but I'm definitely getting to the stage where you've got where I realise that you've, you've got to leave them to it and we can you know extend from there into the Afghanistan adventure and our attempt to bring whatever we'd call it what liberal social democracy to that country right which they've never ever ever known and as far as I can tell, I've got no inclination to, to, to live a life un- under. You know, that's just not their gig. Right. I mean, it's as simple as that. And we've got to, you know, so that's, yeah, that's when I say, when I say adventure motorcycling is a political act, I'm saying that I think it's, it's, you've got to put yourself out there in that unusual culture, in a culture that's as different from your own as possible. And you don't take with you as many accoutrements as you possibly can to keep you know, to try and change their culture into your culture. That's why the the, the van, 4x4 people, or the mobile home people, 
have missed a trick. And that's where us motorcyclists have got an advantage. Because we don't put a big box around us to keep them out. You have like a, <laughs> a little enclosed culture yeah, inside, that's, right? They, you know, the whole the whole outdoor vehicle industry right. is all about turning that metal box into a little piece of home and being as comfortable as possible, obviously, which is uh, not anti-comfort. <laughs> but the the motorcyclist will always have the higher moral ground because he he is one step he's you know he's taken that shell away and he's immersed himself obviously in the climate of that country with the smells and and everything you know and everything and then when he stops at a checkpoint he doesn't roll down a window he's there and then we go to the next level the open face helmet yep you know that's i think that's a cultural um necessity oh, yeah. i love my jaw i know i love i love yeah. my jaw i don't want to lose it but yeah. i don't i don't tear around you know foreign countries when i'm motorcycling in them very fast and and uh, frankly, it's a risk I'm prepared to take. I'd rather that that policeman sees my face mm-hmm. immediately, not the flip-up one. Right. No, I, you I know. everyone in the, on the trip was wearing the, the open-face helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that was a, a coincidence? No. no. It's all very, it's all thought through. Now that you mention it, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, there's, and it was, and when I was um, recruiting the team, which was basically like ringing up all my friends that I wanted to come, when I ran them up, there was, I, I gave them this list of preconditions, and one of them was, was, was open face helmets. And two of the guys ne- would never wear one. And they did it as a concession to the project. Right. So, yeah, I'm proud of the fact that Mondo Sahara, as well as it being a great fun desert ride, which I made no secret about it, was kind of a, an adrenaline, adrenaline kick, old-fashioned oh. dirt, dirt biking fun. Yeah. No, no doubt about that. Um, it, but it was also, there was a, it, was, it was a project with a philosophy behind it without a doubt did you find everyone you were meeting along the way open to that receptive to that message of meeting westerners you you know the answer (laughs) you know the answer (laughs) i've got to ask of course it was uh it's depressing to be traveling amongst all old funny abdullah muhammad the muslim in his pointy shoes and he's got the flying carpet music and the call to prayer i mean the whole thing is like being in a film set in a film called Land of the Muslims, <laughs> and and it's everything's like it should be, you know. The 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 the, 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 the all the sights, sounds, and smells of this foreign culture, and because I'm uh, a white Englishman brought up as a Christian, the minute you're submerged in, a, in an Islamic nation, there's that immediate lack of uh, of connection in a way that when, for example, I'm in Central or, or South America, the Christian connection mean makes you less of a foreigner. Mm-hmm. When you're traveling in Central and South America, compared yeah. to when you're in Islamic society, and um, they, everyone is so nice, so nice, and so welcoming, and and the, and especially official, official them, policemen at checkpoints, soldiers at checkpoints, and we were really properly apprehensive when we were getting the American when the Americans would we they would have them at the back of the queue, and they they thought that when they got out their American passports, there would be a change of tone, right. But it was quite the opposite. It was like, oh, great, you're here at last. Where have you guys oh. been? <laughs> you know? And, and of course, we're lucky that in, 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 in countries like, in part in southern Morocco and in countries like Western Sahara and Mauritania, there isn't a, a proper tourist industry. It's not like going to some, the Eiffel Tower or, right. or Euro Disney or something. Right. <laughs> so they're not cynical yet. And that's really nice. You know, they haven't had enough experiences with coach loads of tourists to, 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 to see us as, as, as anything other than other human beings. And that's, of course, a really nice experience. Well, what was the language barriers like? Because French is the official language in um, Morocco and uh, Mauritania, 
Um, most people, however uneducated, speak luckily the same poor quality French that we do. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then people in a, in any kind of officialdom will, with any kind of rank or power, will speak essentially fluent French. Okay. And so um, that's uh, really interesting. You can go through these Muslim countries that are, that seem so foreign, yeah. but you can speak a. Well, it's the, it's, I think it's almost the only positive legacy of colonialism is that when Africa got seized by by European colonial powers, at least they left behind only about three languages in the entire continent, which is... So if you know French, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, and of course it's great fun, uh, you know, improving your French. When I read, of, read across Russia for the first week or whatever, it's unbearable not being able to read any of the backwards writing of the Cyrillic alphabet, yeah. and you can't speak to anybody, because nothing is, in it. there isn't a single word you've got in common. So, yeah, going across Russia, initially it's a, a, a real pain in the butt to not speak Russian, and then, of course, you, and you can't help it, but it's like in Bart Simpson, in The Simpsons, when Bart Simpson gets, um, he gets exiled, and he gets sent to work on a French vineyard. Yeah. And, he, and unconsciously, he learns French. Yes. And he, and he has to... And, and it was like that. Unconsciously, we started learning Russian words and picking them up. And and it was... You know, you're meant to grow on these trips, aren't you? You're meant to, yeah. you're meant to do something and come back somehow slightly different from when you left. That's why and it's better. adventure, then. Yeah, well, I think so, yeah. And you've got to be... You've got to have an open enough mind whereby you don't think, I am absolutely the man now that I will be 30 years from now. Nothing about me will change. I will not have a single different opinion 30 years from now. That seems a bit weird, a yeah. bit unhealthy. Yeah. And, and it seems that it's a bit strange that a lot of people, you know, I, did you, and you heard me talk about the guy in the hotel in Benson. You know, Muslim, Muslim, the Muslims are a black plague oh, that should yeah. be eradicated from the face of the earth. Yes. Those are his exact words. Yeah. So we're here in Flagstaff, Arizona, and so within about 100 miles from here, last week, a man, a white man, who's about 55, been in the military, served his country. So, you know, I don't know if that means he gets a sticker on his car or something, but he felt he should say to me as an Englishman, Muslims are a black plague that should be eradicated from the earth. Right, yeah. And, and I'm, and given that I'm not a Muslim, so I'm not offended in that respect, because, you know, the idea that an American of all the countries in the world, an American who stands for freedom and some kind of tolerance, what does the Statue of Liberty say? Send me your huddled masses. Send yeah, me your people. What, what's yeah. the? I don't know. You know. I mean, how many other countries in the world have got something as brilliant as that written on the bottom of their national icon? Right. I mean, what an amazing thing made by the French. Well, yes, yes. They they took the tour. I don't think with the war, but uh, <laughs> but it's you know fantastically uh, you know, the whole notion of the American experiment, which is still so incredibly new. Yeah. You know, on the you know the. It's only 300 years old or whatever. Um, to, to think that a project as bold as what this nation is could produce people so full of hate is heartbreaking. And that's what Modestar is all about, trying to undo that. When that guy who said that thing sees Mondasahara, which he probably never will, but somebody like him might see it, mm -hmm. if just for a moment I could make him hesitate the next time he makes a generalization about Arabs or Muslims or terrorists or jihadis or whatever generalization he wants to make. Yep. You know, then if I can just get him to hesitate for a moment and think, oh, wait a minute, those guys were American. They seem to have a great time amongst all those Muslim people. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe just think about it for a moment and then in that respect, then the film and the whole project and the effort that's gone into it will have been worthwhile. Okay. And the last theme I got from the movie is anyone can do this. You, you guys were your own team, your own support team, your own film crew. 
Um, the biggest support you had was the uh, the the guy who was burying the yeah. ashes for you. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to do that. That was just for a bit of fun. But that so, seemed like it would be necessary if you were going to go as far as you were into the. Country. Yeah, but we could have done almost. We could have done a route that was very similar to that if we'd kept going back to a town every two days. Okay. It would it would be possible to in Mauritania to. Uh, to kind of resupply yourself okay. and you'd have to be doing loops and stuff like that so you'd still be able to have to do some world class desert riding but we knew that it would be more fun to stay out in the desert so to speak yeah, yeah, that's for seven great. days straight yeah. or I think it was nine days straight and um, uh, so in that respect it was slightly contrived but so that wasn't s- necessary you were saying that between the, the six seven of you the, the costs were affordable yeah yeah but we, but if you could go out there on your own, well, you shouldn't really do the desert mile sort of thing. But, <laughs> but two of you could go out there and do almost exactly what we did in Modern Sahara without any kind of without invo- involving a um, a caching burying service. Okay. <laughs> uh, just by simply yeah, getting some big tanks on your bikes and and only ever going out for a hundred miles a day, camp out, hundred miles, come back, come back to the town, resupply with gasoline and stuff, you know. So when when is Mondal Sahara going to be available for people uh, to get in the autumn? In autumn, okay. Yes, I have a nose. Um, we're trying to do quite a big fancy launch for it in England, which, uh, whichever way we cut it, will cost an enormous, enormous amount of money. Because with the best, you can make the best film in the history of adventure motorcycling. Uh, but if people don't know it exists, <laughs> then they're not going <laughs> to they're not going to buy the DVD. So I'm uh, manning tens of thousands of of dollars in the hole now on it as a project. Which is the downside of being your own independent filmmaker is that it's an extremely expensive hobby. Yeah. <laughs> Making so your own TV shows. Everyone so. buy the DVD. Yes, thank you very much, sir. Yes. And <laughs> buy multiple copies. And, don't, and, don't, and Exactly, and don't share it with people. <laughs> no sharing. Yeah. No, no I, can assure, I can assure you that if you buy one of these small little films that's made by a little person like me, I can assure you that there's no way that we kind of get the money because it goes straight to the debts that we ran up doing the project in the first place and the months that we spent editing and all that stuff what's next for you well I'd like to sort of retire from the, I want the Montessori was meant to be kind of like me throwing down my last hand in a flamboyant poke around of adventure motorcycling filmmaking um, I'm absolutely not somebody who wants to be on the road the whole time I'm not somebody who wants to travel the whole time I love being at home I love um, just doing going on holiday with my wife doing fun frivolous completely unadventurous things I like watching films and, go, and eating in restaurants and staying in nice hotels in the country and going, and going on weekend breaks yeah, I have absolutely no desire to be in an uncomfortable situation walking up to the South Pole or anything like that I totally don't want to do that at all um, so that, that's um, the whole point of Mondo Sahara is to encourage other people what I want to hear on my deathbed is someone comes in and says, Oh, Austin, uh, you did uh, three big motorcycle films, adventure motorcycle films in your life. And I'd say yes. And if somebody could say, Oh, we've done some research, and it turns out that uh, 1,942 people did a trip of their own because they saw a film you made. Now, if I hear that on my deathbed, I'll pass a happy man. Okay, last question. What's your favorite podcast? Oh, I don't know what the correct title is. You have to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving you the $10 now. Oh, uh, tell, tell me the, um, wait. We'll... Ah, that's right. We'll, <laughs> forgive me. Uh, your, your, your actual names, Chuck and Todd, are more embedded in my mind than the name of the show. <laughs> um, 
There's no doubt in my mind that if you're looking for a happy, peaceful, and successful life in the arms of a beautiful person, of whatever gender you choose, that it's wheel nerds for you. <laughs> That's give, me, give me wheel nerds or clog my ears with, with a hard-setting epoxy resin. <laughs> Thank you so much, Austin. Cool. Yeah, so, and here's the, here's the cool thing. Um, on the line right now, we've got Joe McManus, one of the Americans who was in Mondo Sahara, to talk to us about his point of view. Way cool. Okay, so we're on here with Joe McManus, one of the three Americans who went on the Mondo Sahara ride. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Cool. So uh, you were at the Overland Expo recently, where we got to see Mondo Sahara for the first time. You and the other two American guys that went on the trip, right? That's right. Uh, what did you think seeing it on the, on the screen? Well, it's sort of like watching your own home movies. It's great. The, you think it made you look in a good light, right? Yeah. They, they got your good side. Austin made you look good. I can't complain. I mean... <laughs> he was watching. He's like, man, that guy rides like crap. Oh, that's me. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about who you are first. Uh, if I remember from the movie cor- correctly, Austin introduced you as the antique light guy. Uh, yeah, he did that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sensing there's more that behind there's that. more to the story here. That, uh, you screwing in light bulbs to chandeliers. I own a small business, and coincidentally, it says something about antique lighting, but I don't really do that for a living. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've never made a dime on that. I just have that collection because I bought a really large house that needed all original lighting. I mean, it was all gone, and so I just started buying up antique this and that lighting bits and and since then i've sort of become the family expert on period lighting and uh, but i swear to god it's all going when i'm done with that <laughs> so what do you it's just that's something i do so does your connection with austin go back to period lighting or is there some uh, some other connection no i met austin when he was on mondo enduro heading around the world i think it was 95 oh really wow wait enduro was 95 i think so okay mondo enduro yeah yeah i always Mondo's... thought it was in the 80s but Mm-hmm. It might just be because they use that Super 8 stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a big fan of the Super 8. Let me think. Yeah, he, he came riding through with the boys. They had met uh, a friend of one of my tenants. Um, she said, oh, you got to go see my friend Tracy down in, in Long, Los Angeles. So they did. They stopped by, and they all promptly fell in love with her and ended up staying a week. <laughs> I, I don't remember that part from Mondo and Daryl. <laughs> Oddly, that does not appear in the movie. I think he just said something about surfing. <laughs> <laughs> so were you riding a bike when you met Austin? I did not own a bike then. I'm not really a motors. I mean, I've always wanted to be a motorcycle rider kind of guy, but you know, it was, I was disallowed. Parents thought it was too dangerous and can't imagine what that'd be like. <laughs> I'm sure no one who listens to this knows what's that like. I mean, my first bike was a, a little mini bike chopper that I built out of a, it's like a conveyor belt engine and it was really dangerous. There were no brakes and it took one hand to operate the throttle and the other to steer and really went too fast for that sort of thing. No suspension and all. No, you brakes just slow you down, right? Like, well, yeah, it just drag my feet. <laughs> thick shoes. Probably they start thick, right? <laughs> yeah, and luckily it didn't run very often, otherwise I'd probably be dead now. <laughs> <laughs> the safest bike is the one that's always broken. So right. you, you weren't riding too much, and I, I, if I got the timing for Mondo Sahara down, you guys did this ride eight about seven, eight months ago? That would be... I don't think it was that long ago. It was uh, November, December. Oh, okay. That's weird. When did the planning for this ride start? Um, you'd have to ask Austin that because it sort of all got dreamed up in his head. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I guess where I was going is 
How did you get looped into this thing? They found out about the chopper made from the conveyor belt engine. Yeah, they figured they might need some conveyor belt mechanicing done. No, it's not a... Uh, I really don't know why I would have been able to go, except that I'm a known quantity. Austin knew me to be, uh, you know, available most of the time and willing for just about anything. So he said, yeah, let's go. Okay, so this British guy calls you up on the phone and says, hey, I want to take you to the other side of the world and ride bikes at places where people might possibly shoot you. Is that cool? What's well, more than cool? I mean, that's the fun part. <laughs> but I mean, is that essentially what happened? Is like Austin just calls you up and says, "Hey, let's do this thing," and you're like, "Cool." Yeah, you know, I don't really remember. It may have come up casually. He, I mean, I do tend to see quite a lot of Austin. Um, oh, you lucky bastard! Tend to be in in the UK quite a bit, and and when he's in or they are in America for whatever reason, they tend to use our place as a as a base. Oh, so, nice. So we spent a lot of time together, and even though we lived far apart, I'd, I'd like to think I heard about it early and was asked early and said yes right away. So what did you do to prepare yourself? I mean, presumably the route's pretty well set up and everything, but. You had to get yourself your bike ready. I didn't actually this time. There was very little to do. I, well, that, that, the mechanics were taken care of. Uh, we did have to sort of, at the very last minute, make shift on some sort of uh, uh, subframe um, reinforcements and build a kind of a rack system for, you know, for the luggage. You guys were on XRs, right? That's right. XR 400. So, like, uh, did, did Austin get all seven or, yeah, seven of them, six? I'm forgetting how many of you guys there were. Counting is hard. Counting is hard. How, six or seven? How many guys were there? There were seven. Seven, okay. I'm, I'm trying to Vic picture that one picture Austin kept showing where you guys are in a triangle formation. Okay, right. yeah. Oh, and so did Austin take care of the bikes? How did you guys get a hold of seven XRs? It was basically left to each individual guy to get one and, and fit it. Uh, the Americans, we sort of, of course, that would be difficult. So we let Richard Kemplay buy them for us. And he went through and did the brakes and changed the oil and, you know, check pressures and that sort of thing. Sadly, there really just wasn't enough time to dial them in perfectly. But, you know, as it turns out, they held up pretty well. Um, we did lose a brake shoe somewhere out in the Adrar Plateau. You got two, right? <laughs> well, that's true, and uh, you know the truth is, in sand you don't really need brakes anyway. Although it would have come in handy. Um, how, how much off-road riding experience had you had prior to this? Hard to quantify. I mean, the only time I ever really ride is when Austin says. Hey, come on, I've got a bike for you and let's go do this race or whatever. Since I was, I mean, I didn't really have motorcycles when I was a kid. I kind of had one that sort of ran in high school for a few weeks and that was great fun. I really did have a blast. But yeah, I don't get to ride unless Austin says, come on, let's go riding. I I hear you might have a line on some uh, slightly beat up XRs on the Jeep. I would love to have one of those. I'd probably find some way to use it. But in the end, I think only one of them ended up getting, uh, you know, saved as opposed to sold back or resold on. Mine didn't. Yeah, I didn't bring it back. It exploded. <laughs> uh, no, it actually made it okay. And then he set it on fire and walked away in slow motion. <laughs> so you're going across the Sahara, which, you know, that some of it is these cool, amazing countries that you can't wait to see. And some of it is stuff where you hear the, you know, the State Department and all these tourist people say, oh! Die. Yeah, it's uh, desert bears. So there were Islamic countries involved, like uh, yeah. Mauritania, right? Mm-hmm. And Correct. you know, when you're watching the news here in the United States, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Generally, yes. And if you listen to what the State Department has to say about almost all those countries, the answer is you're not allowed to go there unless you plan to die. <laughs> So were you a little nervous going in about that, or are you just kind of gung-ho, let's go see how it goes? I wasn't at all because, and rightly so, believed that we would be heading off to where there are no people. 
and <laughs> the you know, secret to safety avoid people hide hide <laughs> but i was truly genuinely shocked to find out that those people are actually kinder than what i'm used to and i, I count americans to be rather pleasant you are you're from L.A., right? I do live in L.A., yeah. Okay. Americans are pleasant? Yeah. Back back up a bit. You said pleasant? Uh, As in they're not actively LA. shooting at you? Pleasant. It does not compute. Let me qualify that. I, I hear what you're saying. And yes, all the bad things they say about Los Angeles are true, but it doesn't take very many great people to make you have a great experience. And the people that, that I meet in Los Angeles are great. So there are almost no exceptions. Just, maybe I'm just lucky. Well, you know, if you go by what's in Mondo Sahara, Joe essentially hangs out in a room filled with chandeliers mm. and pokes his head out occasionally. That's just how Austin shows it. Yeah. Well, interestingly, when I met Austin, he came to one of the buildings that I operate downtown, and that's right on Skid Row. And so I, I did live on Skid Row for 15 years. Maybe that's colored my view of humanity somewhat. But he seemed to like it there too. So I don't, I don't know where to how to square it with. Uh, Austin seems like the kind of guy that you could pretty much dump anywhere, and he'll find something to be cheerful about. He reminds me of a guy I met once who says, "I never met a stranger." <laughs> He seems to have like a very winning personality. Uh, yeah, he's he's pretty effusive. He's a charismatic and kind of a born leader in a way. Maybe it's a wrangling uh, school kids all his life that you know made him so competent at <laughs> wrangling adults. <laughs> he's got a lot of enthusiasm for spaghetti westerns and motorcycles and traveling in general. That came across in London Sahara. He was, he seemed really ecstatic because at one part they go right in through where they were they filmed all these spaghetti westerns mm-hmm. and they they talk about that at some length. <laughs> yeah, I had been there once before because uh, he had arranged some sort of big uh, meeting there. Some motorcycle jaunt that he had arranged but didn't actually end up attending for some reason. But it was great fun and so it did wreck there. <laughs> <laughs> How did your your family, friends, girlfriend feel about you doing this trip before you, before you went? Uh, Lara, my most significant other, she um, she answered for me when, when the question was put, do I want to go? She said, oh, you must go. Yes, he'll go, she said. Curiously enough, when we asked the question to do this interview, she was the one that said yes. <laughs> <laughs> I joke that she's my social secretary, and in a way, I really probably wouldn't have a life if it weren't for what she schedules for me. I'm, I'm happy with that. It means there's no conflict, and I get to have the great life that she envisions for me. <laughs> And now you're on Real Nerds and your life has hit its low point. It's all uphill from here, man. We're sorry, Joe. So do you feel different after coming back from this trip? I mean, does you feel like you've got a new perspective? Yeah, of course I do. I, I really wasn't prepared. I, I'd never been to Africa before, and I wasn't at all prepared for how warmly welcomed I would be. I thought perhaps I might be seen as the infidel and treated with suspicion or even malice, and it didn't happen that way at all. In fact, strangely, it seems as though someone in central government has scripted them all to say, welcome to my country. And huh. anybody who could speak French said those words, and it's... It's uncanny, and they really said it as though they meant it. So, yeah, I don't know where to put that exactly. It really did seem open. How much uh, of a grasp of French do you have? Quite little, actually. My dad's okay. first language is French, but all I know is the swear words. <laughs> so was uh, Austin the one primarily speaking for you guys, or did some one of the other guys know French better? How, how did you get along? Well... Uh, my impression is that all English people speak French, and so we relied, we Americans relied heavily upon their command of, mm. of French. Living in Los Angeles, I picked up a bit of Spanish, and that came in handy in, in Western Sahara, which, you know, apparently had been a Spanish colony, and that's about all the use I was. Uh, going through the borders, was there any kind of 
problems there once they saw the American paperwork? Raised eyebrows. Uh, apparently, they don't see too much of that. <laughs> well, you know, I read a thing in the State Department website that said, <laughs> they said they're bad people. Yeah, the great Satan. Sure. Uh, strangely, that, that didn't prove an obstacle in any way, other than we probably got a little more scrutiny than we otherwise would have, but really hard to say. They didn't really um, get in the way. My impression was that the, the, the military in, in Morocco and in Mauritania were primarily there to protect us. And so they, hmm. they did keep close tabs on us just because I think they really desperately want the, the tourism dollars and they can't afford to lose one. Do you get the feeling like maybe the people were less suspicious of you and more just interested in what you were doing? Yeah, yeah, actually. In the, in the same way that, you know, like a sideshow curiosity, we stood out. It's not, I went to, to China once with a redheaded friend and, God, they, you know, it's like they'd never seen anybody that looked like that. <laughs> they might not have. <laughs> what was the biggest challenge to you personally for this trip? Uh, something that happened along the way, something before. Was there a rock? Something you ate? Uh, I lucked out gastrointestinally speaking. Um, well, actually, this luck doesn't have anything to do with it. Well, no, I guess it must because I do eat quite a lot of local food. Well, you do, uh, you do, you do live in LA. Do you eat street meat a lot? Because, you know. <laughs> That'll toughen you up. Yeah, sure. Mystery meat tacos. They're great. Oh, yeah. That would definitely toughen you up. Um, let me think. Challenge, probably when I came off the bike and uh, hurt my ankle. The challenge then was to be able to... See, I couldn't actually work the back brakes then, and the front didn't work at all. So I kind of had to just sort of anticipate stops and be really careful. And that that's when your days of riding the chopper with no brakes... <laughs> they really paid off. Yeah, that all came back to you, right? You're uniquely qualified. I never thought of it like that, but yeah. And they had somebody else starting your bike for you, which is almost like valet service. Yeah. Here you are, sir. <laughs> Enjoy. I was pretty lucky that way. Everybody just sort of jumped up to fill in my shortcomings in my time of need. Did you guys ever reach a point on the trip where you were like, we're not going to make it? Yes. I mean, the moment... Well, yeah, when the the bike broke down. It really didn't look good. Austin's bike? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it looked like that was going to really throw a wrench in things. And uh, But, you know, to their credit, we pulled it out just fine. No, so it's plan B, which is cuddle time. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know, but in the wintertime, there's really not a lot of daylight compared to the summer. So, and I'm not used to traveling in the winter like that. So there was an awful lot of cuddle time. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were looking kind of friendly when they were doing that toast. <laughs> <laughs> it gets 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 cold in the, in the desert. They were all under that tarp. Hey, um, one of the things Austin really talked about um, at the premiere and afterwards when I talked to him is he really saw Mongol Sahara as being a very kind of serious political statement and, you know, getting along. Did he talk about that on the trip or, you know, did you have a sense of that going into the trip or was that something that just sort of kind of after the fact? Uh, Very early on, he said, well, as a working title, he was going to use Americans without guns. (laughs) I thought that was kind of a joke. Because how do you? This I've really never is heard crazy. of such a thing. An American without a gun? Come on, madness! Yeah, we have those in the city. I mean, uh, Tom and I are pointing guns at each other right now. Wee! I'm talking to you from the country. I'm up in Maine, and I'm looking at a rack of ammunition right now. <laughs> there you go. The truth is, I don't see how it could really effectively have ever been that and and so it doesn't really get that point across i don't think so i'm not really sure how serious he is about it i think he wanted to make a film that has some you know deeper statement god knows he's eloquent and really really well equipped to persuade people to his point of view but 
maybe I'm too biased to see it in that light. It, to me, it doesn't really work as a political film. It's just kind of a road movie with a, a nice feel to it. Well, I'm no, I'm nobody to judge because, you know, it's me and a bunch of my buddies. So, you know, when I watch it, I go, ah, ha, ha, look at that. <laughs> He does this for like the whole film. <laughs> he does, he is the, the prostitute around the corner. Ha ha. There's prostitutes? <laughs> wow. Well, Th- this needs a commentary track. Strangely enough, you want to hear something funny. When we left England, we thought, okay, this is it, boys. We're heading down into the Islamic Republic. We've got to drink now because there's not going to be any booze. So we did. We drank as heavily as we could every chance we got. <laughs> And every night, I swear to God, almost as though it were script or, you know, on cue, we would, you know, we'd, we'd search out when we got our daily food from whatever, you know, market in Spain, we would, we would get a whole bunch of liquor too, you know, and we'd drink and we'd say, and we would toast our impending sobriety. And so before we left Spain, we loaded the saddlebags up with booze. I mean, I think it was highly illegal, the amount we were taking in and, well, I don't know to take in any, I think, but... Luckily, we didn't get checked. We put vodka in the water bottles and got away with it. But it, as it turns out, every town in Morocco's got a speakeasy. Um, and it just happened to coincide with where, you know, close to where we were. And so. Just happened to. We thought, well, okay, this is it, boys. Every night we thought, this is the last chance. And so we drank like it was our last chance. And I'm not used to that. There's a lot of last chances, huh? Yeah, even in Mauritania, for God's sake. It, well, I'm not sure that it shows it in the film, but Richard Kemplay, who was burying our food and fuel for us in the sand, mm-hmm. he threw a few bottles of brandy and a keg of beer in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that brings up something about the guy that was doing the cashier. So explain to me, what's the deal with the, the French versus the English rations? I think a lot was made of that. Uh, uh, quite a bit was made of that in the film. Yeah, because it's funny to pick on English food. Truth of the matter is, the French really do have it. You know, they're better at making food, and but it's still canned food you know it's not like you can really improve canned food much they didn't invent canned food oh, i didn't know that that's uh oh yeah napoleon, napoleon offered, a, offered like a million dollars it was it was a ton of money and land and everything else if you can find a way to preserve food for my armies that will taste like ass but stay keep you alive i will give you all this stuff go that sounds familiar and it tastes familiar too <laughs> <laughs> you guys showed up at the overland expo to kind of promote the movie are you planning to do any kind of other promotions for it or is that is the overland expo pretty much it for you and the, the other two or what's up probably the the real rollout the premiere will be and you'd have to ask austin this but i know that he's planning to show it at the the film festival in london okay yeah that'll be this summer sometime i'm probably expected to be there and probably will be there no, no, London in the summer. No, no, stop. <laughs> well, he has to eat the food. <laughs> oh, no, they've, they've got the best Indian food I've ever had. <laughs> Notice he says Indian. It's not like, oh, no, it's the best British thing. <laughs> you know, I think that might be that might be why they found the speakeasies is because they had all, he had all the British guys with him. I mean, they could smell <laughs> booze from, like, miles. That's how they managed to eat that food. Yeah, no, I grew up in New England. I've had enough boiled cabbage and corned beef to last a lifetime. Oh, boy, Jesus, yeah. All right, well, cool. Thanks for talking with us tonight. It's uh, pretty pretty cool to get to talk to one of the guys that did the Mono Sahara trip. It's my pleasure. Actually, I should tell you about this. He, When he was shooting the film Roadside USA, he came into L.A. to do pickup shots. And, you know, he's a really big fan of spaghetti westerns, but, of course, denied all manner of munitions. Uh, he seemed really eager to go out to the desert with me. Uh, I had bought a little Honda Civic just to kill it. And we took it out there and flew it off at jumps and slammed into things and and shot it to death. And it's on the film. I think there's probably a shot of him 
handling a firearm, shooting the hell out of this car. Riddled with holes, worse than Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> and the glee. Oh, you know, he's, I don't know. He's a pacifist. On that, we don't agree, but... Uh, but boy, those things make a lot of noise and put holes in things. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's a pacifist towards people. Car. Honda Civics, let's be honest, they had it coming. Cars have it coming. Especially if you're a motorcyclist. Mm-hmm. All right, well, thanks a lot, Joe. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Yay. Yay! <laughs> that was that was pretty neat. It's interesting. It's it's. I can't think of when I've ever gotten to hear an interview quite like that, where we had two different perspectives on the same movie, because usually you get the company line. I was really interested to hear um, Joe's take about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. After listening to Austin talk about what his, his motivation behind the movie was, what mm-hmm. the message he was trying to get across... Mm-hmm. Um, that whole American without guns thing, he, you know, that's why I make a joke in the Austin mm-hmm. interview was I don't have a gun right now. Cause he talked about that mm-hmm. at the premiere, you know, yeah. he, he was very, you could hear in that interview, he was very passionate about what mm-hmm. he was trying to put across. Yeah. And I was just really curious, were the other writers that way too? Or it seems not especially, not especially. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it looks like he kind of got, you know, the point, you know, Hey, these are people and yeah, you know, if you're just, Riding across, you know, if you're riding across with a very effusive Englishman wearing overalls, you're probably safe wherever you go. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about that is you've got a similar experience that different people get different things out of. Kind of makes a, it makes a strong case, honestly, for getting out there and doing it yourself. Well, yeah, I mean, everyone, I talked to all of my close personal friends at Bill Gunn Expo talked over and over about how, you know, you should just go. Mm. You should just, you know, just go. Take what you have, just go. I mean, that was always been Austin's theme in all of his movies. Just go. Take mm. what you got. Take, you know, your rat bike off of eBay and go. Take your rat Vulcan? Rat 100? Vulcan chopper stretched with 12 LCD monitors. Because that, that's what that thing needs. Oh, yeah. Is monitors. 12 LCD monitors. And two sound systems. 12 LCD monitors and two sound systems would make it immeasurably better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But really, what you know, these all these people we talk to are like just go. That when you compare that to say talking to Mister Adventure, Mister Adventure he says, "Don't go unless you have the right bike and the right gear and at least three LCD monitors." Oh, you know, if Mister Adventure saw that bike, he's totally going to put LCD monitors on his tri- uh, Tenere. The important question though is, will he put a Burby movie on it? <laughs> No, it'll have, like, Long Way Round on loop. Booby Movie Tail. Booby Movie Tail? That's what I'm calling the rear end of that bike. It's the Booby Movie Tail. (laughs) That sounds like a movie in itself. Coming soon from Will Nerds Productions. Booby Movie Tail. They'll pay for this one, damn it. (laughs) We got some listener mails. Uh, yeah. Zach, who we made reference to earlier, writes, Where are you guys? I got nothing to listen under here. More Craigslist ads. You know what I'm talking about now. Bring it. A jillion exclamation points. I think he wrote one of our ads. Mm, could be. Yeah. Yeah. Except that was clearly a woman. I mean, you can hear the woman's voice. I had a woman motorcycle helmet. I mean, that's not him. Maybe Zach's real name is Jay. Mmm. <laughs> you, man. We've got someone you need to meet. Mm-hmm. She's she's hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm uncomfortable. Brett writes, Hey, Will Nerds, I live in north central Washington where about 80% of the roads are dirt. A dual sport motorcycle would be perfect for where I live, but I hate the way they look. 
obviously talking about Calars. Mm. I know that's not a good reason not to own one. No, actually it is. Mm. And I've been trying to talk myself into liking them. Don't, don't do that. Just don't do that. Then came along the Suzuki GW250. I really like the way this looks, and it's just the right size. If I were to replace the stock tires with something more aggressive, would I have a dual-sport motorcycle, or is there a lot more to it than that? I read that the GW250 has a lot of low-end power, which sounds like what I'd want. I don't intend to take it on trails, just dirt roads with some ruts and washboards, but nothing too extreme! Extreme! Mr. Adventure says, no. Will nerds say, yeah, why not? Yeah, I think you'd be okay. The reality of the situation is, once upon a time, every bike was a dual sport. The GW250, which, interestingly, I've learned Suzuki dealers have been specifically verboten from using the B word around. Really? Yes. But it looks... They are not to use the B word around the GW. But look at the turn signal. B word! It totally looks... No, it is a different bike. I mean, it looks like a baby. No. It does not. It is completely not the B word, but small. (laughs) This was very clearly stated to all dealers. (laughs) Baby (laughs) Viking. Maybe the underside of the bike is a little unprotected. It might take a little bit of a beating, but I mean, it's metal. It's metal, yeah. If you're just going on dirt roads and just rocks are going to hit it, you know, you'd be fine. You could probably frankly, redneck up a basic skid plate for it without too much difficulty. How about suspension? Well, the suspension's not going to be great on dirt. I mean, who knows what the suspension is like. Generally speaking, on these little 250s, the suspension's frankly a little squishy anyway. Yeah. Which might actually work to your advantage in this case. It's a 250, so it's it's lightish. Mm-hmm. The uh, the uh, <laughs> uh, turn signals would uh, just be destroyed <laughs> yeah. upon a fall. The first time you fall. And, yeah. And you're going to fall in dirt. Oh, guaranteed. Yeah. So, and if you buy the thing brand new, mm-hmm. even 0% APR for five, ooh, zero percent Chuck, Chuck, focus, Chuck, Chuck. I've got to go. Chuck. Somewhere, there's a bike calling me. A baby bee king? <laughs> Oops, sorry. B word. So the thing's 400 pounds. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a little, mm. I, you could do better for a cool looking 250 that you turn into a dirt bike. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a dual sport. Clearly. No. And if you don't like a dual sport, don't try to talk yourself into one. Yeah, pretty much. Be honest with what you're going to do with the bike. If you're looking mm-hmm. at, you know, you're talking dirt roads, you're talking 90% asphalt, 10%, 95% asphalt, 5%. Yeah, every bike is a dual sport bike. You just have to not care that much about it. Go slower. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't see any reason you couldn't, if you could find dually tires in the size of this bike, I don't see any reason you couldn't put them on there. I mean, compared to a stock Strom, it doesn't have any less protection on the bottom of it. You might be able to get some TKCs for it. Yeah, that would be a little extreme. I wouldn't go that far. Extreme! I, that extreme. might not fit on that. Fender. Mr. Adventure says. That front fender. Uh, that's going to be a problem, yeah. yeah, the, yeah. Mic, the front fender might have to go. Yep. I wouldn't want to buy a new one of these. You need a beak. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> God, I, I hate myself. <laughs> You'll need a beak on that. <laughs> Somewhere right now, someone is cackling at BMW headquarters. <laughs> Fools! <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you could do it. It's hey. I wouldn't want to buy a new one and do it. No, shit, no. No, 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 no. Too many things to get dented up and yeah. lower the value. Uh, I mean, if you want to go this route, get a Ninja 250. Mm-hmm. Cause Actually, there are a fair number of people who do that with Ninja 250. Yeah, I mean... They get a Ninja... You could do, like, Torque. That's what you need to do. 
First, you need to go and rent the movie Torque and watch it. Then watch it again with the Wheelmere's commentary. We note in there that at one point when they're riding their sport bikes across the desert, they are, in fact, dirt bikes with sport bike plastics on them. So, yeah, you can get a dual sport that you don't like and, you know, plastic it up to look like a street bike. Yeah. Yeah, apparently this is a big thing in India, FYI. Shut up. I am not joking. Really? This is a thing. This is like a real thing. It is a thing. Not just for Bollywood. No. Okay, so do this for real. Get yeah. like a little 400. The clear answer. And and plastic it up to, to look the way you want. Yep. Do not use uh, a skateboard deck as a floorboard. No, no. But then you tell everybody it's the new bike from insert manufacturer here just to fuck with them. <laughs> You'll need, in fact, you know what you need is some Beamer <laughs> you can get them. You can get them on eBay. <laughs> Just be warned. Send pictures. They'll never come. They off. never come <laughs> off. Oh my god! Don't attach them to anything you like, like children. Dave writes, "Hey, real nerds! I signed up for the Pace Rally and submitted some photos under the team name Take That D Pace. <laughs> I'm in the gallery, some. I'm going to keep submitting photos. Ominous. God doesn't. And try to win, so they have to say Take That D Pace is in the top number insert here." LOL. Where are you guys? I'm in need of some Wheel Nerd podcast. I'm jonesing bad. We're we're here? We're right here. We're in Chuck's bachelor, uh, bachelor pad. We had to push the strippers out of the way to make room. Yeah, yeah. You know, it wouldn't have been so bad if there weren't so many dead hookers all over. Shh, they're not dead, they're sleepy. Oh, yeah. sleepy. They're going to that, they went to live at that special hooker farm. Did you bring the line, the quick line? Yeah, that's in the trunk. Okay, good. Thanks, good. Uh, we got one more email I didn't get a chance to add to the notes because we yes. just got it. Oh, yes. Thomas Rice says, I'm in Grand Junction for tonight, going to Utah tomorrow. So I'm obviously going to reply to them in email, too. <laughs> I'm going to be coming into Utah around Price, heading towards SLC eventually, and then up to Wyoming. I think I will have roughly five days I can ride in northern Utah before needing to move on. All right, been in most of lower Utah. Do you have any suggestions for roads, parks, and or attractions I should see? A bunch. You two are more than welcome to ride with me through any of this if you want. Any feedback would be greatly appreciated. This is not a trap. I will not try to kill and eat you. Go Team Chode. I don't think I like that name. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Northern Utah. Things to check out. This will be completely useless to Thomas. Oh, I'm going to write back to him. Okay. Uh, I'll Good. make sure he gets it tonight. So it's actually useful. Yeah. I would say um, a lot of the standbys, any of the roads in and around the Uintas, Flaming Gorge, uh, Wolf Creek Pass, uh, Mirror Lake Highway, All you can do all three of these as a loop, incidentally. Um, if you go west from Price on 40, and uh, then go north through Flaming Gorge, and then you go east, uh, or, excuse me, east from Price, north through Flaming Gorge, west on 80, south over Mirror Lake Highway, and then down over Wolf Creek Pass to Duchesne, and then wherever from there. Actually, from Duchesne, you can go down Indian Canyon. There's there's a mess of them you can go through there. But around the Uintas is the first place to go. Yeah, yeah. Monte Cristo. Yeah. Monte Cristo is also a really good one. That's the road that goes out to Wyoming uh, over on the eastern side of Utah. Is that plane loop open? Uh, it's open, but don't go there on a weekend. Yeah. Per usual. In fact, most of the high passes are open now. I think the only one that's not open... I'm not sure, actually. I think most of them are open. Mirror Lake is open. Although it's cold as crap up there. I, you know, I, what I would do is get a copy of the Butler Maps. That's an excellent for idea. For Utah. Because mm-hmm. it's got all these really yep. 
And I'm horrible with road names mm-hmm. and remembering that stuff. So. You know, the one road next to the other road where you go past the thing and there's the oh, yeah. thing you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we yeah. turn around and we just pee in the one spot? Yeah. yeah. I love that place. Mm-hmm. That's where John wiped out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God is not amused by <laughs> What have you learned tonight, Chuck? I need to move that brass pole in my bedroom about two feet to the left mm-hmm. to keep them from hitting their heads yeah, on the a TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's not good. Yeah. I've learned that my bike needs a booby movie tell. No, you know what the Ural needs? What's that? 50 monitors. Nice. <laughs> and tower speakers. Take that, booby movie tail guy. <laughs> and that's all we got time for this week. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. Ride safe, everyone. We'll see you next week. If you listen to us on iTunes, please write a review for us so that we can get some more exposure and hits. Thanks. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheel Nerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent. Hello, I'm Austin Finn, and so far I've never endorsed any product in my entire life, apart from everything in the Terrorist catalog. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'd like to take this chance to encourage my American cousins, and you all are, even the Mexican ones, to buy some wheelnerds.com stuff. I'm going to go online, I'm going to click, click, bang, and get myself a, um, a wheelnerds.com sticker. I'm going to stick it on my top box, and I'll be there uh, for the rest of the time, until my bike is inevitably consumed in flames. <laughs>